0: This week's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash Again, that's audibletrial.com slash inside outside for your free audiobook today. Also, SP Accounting Group. Matt Westenberg and the team offer everything an up-and-coming startup needs from an accounting firm without the boring and dry, complicated bean-counter persona. We've all used Matt because he enables us to focus on our business while bringing insight and action to our numbers. From payroll to tax plan, and strategic guidance, give Matt Westenberg a call and say goodbye to your accounting troubles. On this episode, we'll be discussing PR and a few techniques we've used to get it. We also caught up with Davion Ross from Shot Tracker in Kansas City. We discussed his history as an entrepreneur and the journey he's taken with Shot Tracker. All this and more on this episode of Inside Outside. Running a startup is hard. Running one outside the valley is even harder. Inside Outside is the podcast for inside access to startups outside the valley.
1: Each week, we'll bring you real insights, raw stories, and tactical advice from founders and startup teams around the country. Let's get started.
0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Inside Outside. You're looking to startups outside of Silicon Valley. My name is Matt Boyd. I'm Brian Ardinger. And I'm Paul Jarrett. No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Every morning, I'm
1: just going to mess with you guys just to catch you. It's a good way to wake you up, right? I I feel better this week, so it's all good. It's because you just said your name is... Paul oh, Jarrett, yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: the worst joke ever. Could you throw a rim shot? Right there, it is. There it is.
0: So this week we're talking about PR and getting press and some of the pitfalls of doing so, and opportunities. And opportunities. we're going to talk
1: about the pitfalls of PR. Yeah. Oh man, this is this is going to be a good one. Yeah. We need When it. should
2: when should a startup try to get press?
1: Oh man, you're looking at me.
2: I know press whore. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly,
1: right? right. Oh, I'm proud of that. I am I am not shy. Um, that is uh, that is one thing that I believe in the Midwest um, uh, people are a little bit too shy on, especially after being in PR in New York City and in San Francisco. I feel like it's one thing that um, people are so um, uh, humble. It's great to be humble, but... Um, Getting PR doesn't mean that you're being arrogant or, or anything like that. And um, man, I'll tell you what, like thinking back to San Francisco and some of those launch parties and acquisition parties that mm-hmm. we went to, Matt, like it was ridiculous. I mean, a founder goes to the bathroom and there's a press release about it. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. There's, there's like literally a press release for every single thing. And here I talk to people and there's startups that I know that have over um, 10 million in sales. And they're still under the radar in Lincoln, Nebraska, and they're like, "Oh, we're not ready for it yet." And I'm like, "Oh, you're what? What? You are totally ready for it." So, um, I, I personally think it is, and I am again, I think having a ten year ad career like totally puts me in a different bucket. But um, man, I think it's like never too soon. Um, But it has to be. I think a lot of people make the mistake of they stretch things a little too far. You know, like from the truth. Um, there's a saying that you learn in advertising and it's truth told well. So um I think you that gives you a lot of kind of um slack to, you know, make things sound better than they are in PR. Also there's a saying called Shine the Turd. Have <laughs> you ever heard of that? Yeah, right now. <laughs> <laughs> so um I think that there are a lot of people in the Midwest that kind of miss out on that opportunity because they just you know, almost feel guilty or whatever, but
0: yeah, I, I mean, I think, um, press is absolutely necessary whenever you launch. I think that that's, that's whenever you should start getting press. I mean, um, we started getting press the day we launched.
2: I think there's a, could be a potential problem with trying to get press too early though. If your product's not ready or if you drive a lot of traffic to your site and that, and it, this wave of folks come there and you're not ready for that.
1: And it's a piece of shit. <laughs>
2: I think you can get into serious trouble and not have a second chance a lot of times. So cool. I think you've got to be, you've got to balance the timing. I think a lot of people think, well, I'll just get press and then automatically my company's going to take off and I'll be, I'll be great. But it's typically not the way, no. um, you know, you can get
0: a, you'll get a spike of traffic, but if you don't know what to do with that traffic or, well, honestly, uh, I, I don't think, um, I think if you, if you don't have a product, you're not going to get press of any value, to be honest. like, You're not going to get in tech. Oh, man. I don't know.
1: Like, there's so many times where you read press releases and you go to the website or whatever and there's nothing there. You know what I mean? I mean, mean? that's
0: that's true. I mean, another question that opens up is how valuable are press releases? I think that, yeah, we could talk about that topic forever. Um, I think the way that it's being done now is um, kind of away from press releases. Um, I know that I. I send out probably three, two or three press releases at Squiggle, and nothing ever happened from them. Uh, But we have a ton of press if you search on Google. Yep. um, All of the press that we ever got uh, were through um, just connections that I had made on just cold emailing people or reaching out on Twitter um, and that kind of stuff. I think that's so
2: important. You have to build up some of those relationships ahead of time. Um,
0: You know, I
2: I hear you know the press folks they get. Literally hundreds of press releases across their desk every day, and especially in the valley, and that, and tech reporters, et cetera. Like, how do you manage to sift through that? Well, they don't. You know, they they go for the stories that are you know easier and or um, people that they have more relationship with, more trust with, that they can then dig into the story in that. So, I think it's so important to start planning your press way before your your product launch. Like, start following the right um, people on Twitter. Start. Developing relationship, understand who are the right people that are talking, um, or talking about your subject, and then make those relationships and start building that relationship before you have to use it.
1: All right, so I have, like, I would go against what you both just said, but <laughs> in right. the most polite way I can. I guess that's what this podcast is for. Um, press releases kill it for us, hmm. um, but we also spend, like, a few grand to launch them, so you know, there's ways of like you can email your press release out to your list. You can use PR Web. Um, we will spend anywhere from two grand to five grand through like a um, PR Newswire, whoever it is. We work with that account rep from that press release firm, um, and and I'm talking like we write the press release ourselves, but we work with the the account manager that will get it into the hands of reporters. And you know they will do things like focus tweets at specific entities for us.
0: So you're kind of talking more about a PR firm. Is, no. that, is it a PR firm that takes your press release and kind of puts? It no, in your right it's hand?
1: like it's like um, PR Newswire. Um, mm-hmm. There are other firms, and like their sole existence is to launch press releases. That's like what their firm does, and they are not cheap. Um, but also, you know, when you first talk to them, they say, "Okay, we're ten grand up front, and then it costs five grand every time after that." Um, you can negotiate them down to like, "Nope, I'm not going to pay that ten grand. What I will do is pay you two thousand dollars every time I launch a press release, and they'll get it into thousands of people's hands." And then what we do is we try to figure out like where those press releases are going, what reporters are getting them, and I think this is probably one of the biggest <laughs> pro tips that I could give. Um, you know, make it as Humanly easy as possible for whatever reporter you're working with. Um, we've we've actually wrote stories before about ourselves and taken pictures and delivered that to a reporter. Like mm-hmm. here's a story, here's oh, yeah. a picture, because then you're telling the reporter like
2: I totally believe that. I mean, yeah. the, the more you can make it easier on the. I mean, they're <sighs> always on really tight deadlines and they've yes. got to pump out stories, and that it obviously depends on the, the particular publisher and such, but. The easier you can make it so they don't have to go and do additional research. So, you know, you send them your logo, you send them the pictures, you send them the captions, you send them everything you need. And then they can choose to use it or not. And a lot of times they will. And
1: here's the deal like, if you do that once or twice and you develop a relationship, they're going to know, like, oh, I go to Bulu Box and like, they're already going to have, they're going to like, you know, take off three hours of work off my plate because they're
2: going to write. Or the next time I need need a quote, I'm going to uh, go to first.
0: And I think there's an overarching um, thing here where, In reality, you just have to have a good story. Um, Absolutely, I think a lot of people try to get press, uh, and they just don't have a good story. They don't have something that's like unique or interesting for the reporters. Don't like reporting if you've already gotten press on a specific thing that you've launched or whatever. They don't like writing a second time. They want to break stories. They don't want to. You know what I mean. So if you've just got to formulate something interesting for them and whether it's in a press release, um, or whether it's in just cold emailing or whatever, I think that's probably the key. I mean, we've, we hit certain walls at uh, my previous company where, um, we had launched all the features to fanfare and then what do we do now? How do we, how do we (laughs) generate stories? And I've seen companies like buffer who are always on the bleeding edge of press, but they're also on the bleeding edge of like uh, being transparent, so they'll release a massive press release stating that this quarter's numbers, and everybody's flipping out. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the key: just generate something interesting.
1: Yeah, I um, there was a very famous ad agency called Crispin Porter Bogusky, um, and I loved their strategy in advertising, kind of all things with product launches. And they would actually write the press release first, so that was like their trick in the like early two thousands. Everybody was like, "Why are they getting such good PR and whatever?" Well. Their strategy was to actually sit down and write the press release of what they wanna do, and then they kind of like build backwards. And I think that can kind of be applied to startups, right? Like, what story do you wanna tell the press? And then you kind of like work your kind of product building and your launches in in kind of concert with that.
2: Yeah, the more you can make it about a story rather than about the product, the better off you're going to be. I mean, there's a term newsjacking, for example, you know, looking at what's happening in the news and trying to relate your product or your service or your business to what's going on and, Absolutely. and being able to tie it in and, and you know, call up a report and say, hey, this is going on in the news. This is how our company relates to that or and then pitch a story around What's that. that
1: called? Newsjacking? Newsjacking. We do that and I didn't even know what it was called. <laughs> I just thought that was called good PR. <laughs> good PR strategy. Newsjacking. Now I feel bad about it, Brian.
0: <laughs> so um with the debate of press releases versus no press releases, if you don't have two to five grand to spend on, Getting your press release out. Do you think press releases are still useful?
1: I think you get a credit card if you're left.
3: <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> kidding.
2: I think. I mean, I think you can get press. It depends on again the industry that you're, you're in, the types of publications. You've got to think about a lot of um, a lot of this. So, for example, you know the local tech news or local tech newspaper, things along those lines, they'll, they'll typically write about you um, if you have something interesting because you know, it's a local angle, for example. So there's different ways you can get into uh, getting some press and maybe you can then leverage that into a bigger story later on, um, something like that.
0: I'm kind of a, along the lines of like, I think local press is pretty useless, to be honest. I love local press. <laughs> <How> <laughs> feeds my <dare> ego. You? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just don't like, I don't know. I don't find like you're not going to get any scale. I mean, you might get a, a few local yep. people to sign up, but in reality, like, it's national press or nothing for me. I Do not Do you guys feel the same way?
2: I disagree from a couple different standpoints. One, if you're looking at press just as a way to drive customer traffic, maybe. Again, you have to know where your audience is coming from. So if you're getting a lot of press in, the, in a trade journal or a tech news, but none of your customers read TechCrunch, well, that doesn't really do much for you from that perspective. But there's all sorts of hidden benefits, um, whether it's you know positioning the company for recruiting or... Uh, getting your name out there so that you can have a uh, relationship with a business development person that you need to get a partnership with. So there's a lot of other benefits outside of driving specific customer traffic I think that's makes PR very
0: valuable um, in the scene. Yeah, I, I, our biggest channel of um, getting customers in the door in the early onset was um, uh, for, from press specifically. I mean, so maybe I'm just looking at it from that standpoint. I, don't, I mean, the other aspects it makes sense if you're looking to get with somebody locally and, and make right. a partnership there right. but I don't know.
1: So I think in the beginning you only have so much time and I would agree with you that a lot of times local press doesn't matter. like you like you have such bigger things on your plate to do. yeah um, Now when you start getting traction, And this isn't my opinion, this is experience and what's worked for us. We know in the vitamin and supplement industry, um, Bulu Box and the products that we're launching are cutting edge. So everybody's really interested in our industry about that. So those things help. However, when we do local stuff, it's all with the idea of helping out recruiting efforts helping out with, um, you know, investors and, you know, frankly, like getting better deals on, you know, uh, services that we use. And also mm-hmm. like it does a ton for employee morale. Exactly. Um, and that's, you know, it kind of like filters into like award shows and, oh. I get so pissed when when people are like, "Oh, we don't do it. Like award shows are stupid or whatever." (laughs) You're stupid. It's not about the award. It's about you know the PR and building up the team and and so maybe like you know going back to like some of my initial statements. If my rant didn't get edited out, it's like you know as a founder or as you know what it doesn't matter anymore what your opinion is on PR and and whatever like. It's about the team now. It's not about your personal preference. It's about the team, and so, you know, if you want to be humble or run under the radar, and and speaking from experience on, you know, working at companies that wanted to run under the radar, PR is your biggest tool in your marketing um, toolbox. That's the cheapest. You know, Mm -hmm. talk about word of mouth, and it's your lowest customer acquisition cost. And to take that tool away. Like shame on you, shame yeah. on you. When and I was
2: when I was at Nano Nation as a chief marketing officer, you know, we pretty much built that company on on awards programs and and get, got our real start by you know we won one simple award, but that got us yeah. enough press. Yep. that got you know Mazda to call us from a cold call, and yep. then that got us to Royal Caribbean, that got probably, us Harley Davidson. Probably and, the
1: person that like hired you guys as a firm, like some bo- their boss came and said we need to do blah blah blah, exactly. and they just start looking at pubs exactly. and Google searching. Do, who, and does you guys well? there. Yeah. who does this well? Who does this well? Okay, yeah. It's not a you know, my opinion, like it's not a long term, it's not a strategy. And there are very few people that can make PR like their actual marketing strategy, but it is probably the biggest tool in your toolbox and like you have to use it and you have to like take it out and sharpen it and just chip away with it every single day. And that's hard.
0: What are the biggest pieces of press you guys have gotten in the in the past?
1: Um, let's see. Huffington Post. Um, we were on the doctors, which I kind of consider like, you know, uh, falling in that vein. It's that national television show that gets like 10 million or 4 million viewers a day or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, ink magazine, um, glamour magazine. Um,
2: we were on NPR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah
1: NPR. <laughs> uh, yep. We're on NPR. Um, all things considered, um, and uh, uh, I don't know, there's a bunch of uh, but way more, honestly, like where we're at right, right now as a company, like the time frame in, like we've received way more press than I thought that we would have. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that comes down to our mentality of like we go to work um, on press. So um, I'm, I have to apologize to somebody in our company because I'm going to give away some more PR tactics, so sorry, Mariah. <laughs> um, so like the being on the show, the doctors what people don't understand is that was over like 70 emails that we sent the doctors. Yeah. That was like a dozen phone calls. Um, and so we were just top of mind when they were covering a topic that related to us, you know, we were you know, top of mind for a few people over there Mm -hmm. and like, you bet your ass, like we're you know emailing Doctor Oz like every day trying yeah. to get on that show, and and you know that goes for so many different entities, and it's like you just want to be top of mind when somebody asks and, you. To write.
2: And it's amazing once you get that first press coverage, a lot of times that really does spiral into the next um, wave of of press that Absolutely. you get because people again, uh, um, uh, press folks are you know they're under deadlines and that, so they look for shortcuts, and one of the shortcuts is uh, who's been talked about this in the past. Okay, obviously. If you've been written about, I can find a person that will actually mm-hmm. talk to me and that makes it easier for me, I can get a quote and yep. finish off that story. Let's do that. I'll
0: just lay out every single thing that I know about press <laughs> right now. All right. Um, we have time?: Cold emailing. I, I, I've spent so much time emailing tons of people, um, And that's it. You make, you make a <laughs> like that's all I know. You yeah. may, you, like you email a yeah. ton. You get in contact with this person. You pitch a story. You think about the story angle, and then they bite or they don't bite. And sometimes it comes down to a phone phone call of how you can help them develop the story. Like I've I've packaged up a story, and, and like for example, I was pitching TechCrunch. It never actually got pit posted. Um, been in TechCrunch several times, but it never actually. This one I, I was pitching. Like we were a totally remote company, and I was a founder who was traveling. Um, For the last two years, and and working and doing that whole thing, and she wanted, and I I was actually pitching her as me being a part of that story, but also the idea of her interviewing other founders who have done this Mm -hmm. and doing an overarching piece on just remote working in general. So I think that that whole idea of just like coming up with the story, packaging it up, putting it in their hands, and just getting somebody to bite on it.
1: Here's what I know about it. working from you know New York City, San Francisco, um, having PR firms that were tiny um, to huge PR firms. Um, we've utilized two PR firms at Bulu Box, and um, we now do it all in-house. And I will tell you that two or three people that spend a couple hours a week just chipping away and doing the day-in and day-out things will be more... Right, uh, a higher return than hiring any firm.
2: Yeah, because an internal employee knows the business a lot more. They can react quicker and faster than, a, than an outside PR agency. And I mean, at a certain scale, maybe, yeah, it's important to get go to that direction, but at the startup yes. level, yep. build it in-house or build it with freelancers as, as much as you we, can.
0: We worked with a PR firm, um, and I just strongly disliked like that they, they were getting in front of people that I already had contacts right, with. Right, A PR right.
1: firm is only as good as their Rolodex.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Absolutely.
1: And, and after about three months, they've gone through that Rolodex. Right. And so, I mean, know, they've gotten kinda, you in front yeah. of all
0: the people that they could ever d- you know do. So I don't know. It didn't make any sense after that. No, um, yeah.
2: Do you guys measure your PR as far as like metrics?
0: No, we, just we, curious. we yeah. measure, um, basically like the traffic that we get from that right and it it comes into the funnel and Mm -hmm. we we measure the funnel itself we don't measure like our efforts as much
1: yeah that's i guess there are reports and things that we get back but it's not kind of built into the customer acquisition ltv plan it's just oh look at what this did it's a bonus right and if something (laughs) kind of bites okay because it just i mean that kind of pool dries up quickly Mm -hmm. right It's Um, it's
2: lumpy. Yeah. It kind of spikes when you get something and then goes away.
1: So, I heard uh, um, an interesting strategy that a lot of startups are starting to do now, and it's like happening more and more. And I'll probably piss off some PR people, so I'm sorry. Um, But what a lot of startups are doing now is they actually will hire a firm for three months. And they will basically like burn out that firm, and then three months later they go find a new firm, <laughs> and then they burn out that firm, and then three kind, months. It kind of
0: makes sense.
1: It kind of <laughs> makes sense because you're basically just paying for that their, Rolodex their and for them to work, and and after you know ninety days they're going to be exhausted telling the same story and hitting up <laughs> the same contacts. So it's yeah. kind of a <laughs> thing to do, but also like I actually that totally makes sense to me.
2: <laughs> I think startup founders uh, when they're following reporters, a lot of times reporters will post out something. I know some local um, founders that have gotten some stories written about them because they were following one of the reporters. The reporter asked a question, does anybody have any information on this? Are you the, the founder? Man? The founder, well, you're, you're one of them, but <laughs> there's been multiple uh, founders in this local uh, area that have uh, worked this angle, but um, tweeted back to the particular reporter uh, and got a story, pitched a story you know, based on a tweet. Yep. Pretty cool.
0: So to wrap up the conversation, um, PR is very important. But there are some things that you can do and some things that you can do poorly. What are some things that you can do to get press?
1: So I'm just going to think back. So we had a we had a pretty um, solid week of PR, and we we had Ink Magazine, Huffington Post, and then the local uh, Lincoln Journal Star. Um, the I think I'll get this right. Ink Magazine came from them hearing us on a podcast on NPR's All Things Related. So that's how that happened. Nice considered. <laughs> what did I? what did yeah, I say? things related to <laughs>
3: sister, uh, sister publication okay. there you go there,
1: all things considered um Huffington Post came from helperreporterout.com out.com yes. so go check out that website I'm not even gonna explain what it is um and then uh, Lincoln Journal star actually came from us reading the Lincoln Community Vision Plan that launched, mm-hmm. and we saw one of the slides that said media needs to focus on startups more. Like basically, if the city wants to do well, there needs to be a media focus. So we picked up the phone and we called the Journal Star, and they were like, "Yeah, actually, we we're just thinking about doing a story on startups." We're like, "No kidding!" Well, we actually had read <laughs> that, so that just kind of shows you like all those different buckets. But those were probably like. Very close to just not happening at all, so that 's kind of that fringe that you need to play with and and when you don 't get anything after a lot of work, like you just have to keep going and you know wait for those things to hit
0: one of the things that um, that we did at at, at Squiggle uh, to get press was actually partnered with other companies mm-hmm. and so they had certain press contacts, and that's, we had certain press contacts, so we would trade press contacts. Uh, we would also do that in, in blogging so uh, w- one of my buddies had um, he had a contact who he would actually ghostwrite stories for. Yeah. So he said, I would I would work a mention of Squiggle, and that's how we got in Inc. Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, he he actually worked in a mention of Squiggle into his uh, into his article, and then I actually had a ghostwriting opportunity at a different blog, so I worked in a mention of his company. We would just trade.
1: Yep, that's a good point. On our press releases, what we've done before is um, we talk to other companies that are using a product launch or whatever, and we say... Hey, do you want to be the company that we reference in this? Give us like a thousand bucks or whatever just to cut back that cost that we were talking about that, you know, mm-hmm. two to five grand for a press release. So that's a really good point.
2: I'll end on just some resources that are out there to, for startups to look for. Um, Onboardly is a, is a kind of a new age PR firm, but they've put out a lot of good uh, content marketing around startups and they have a good guidebook for uh, early stage uh, startups on what to look for with PR. It's a SlideShare, you can Google that. Um, then also you know, pay attention to things like Hacker News, Product Hunt, places where you can get your product in front of it. And then finally, uh, look at techmeme.com slash LB. It's a leaderboard of reporters. And so if nothing else, it'll give you the top 10, 20, 100 nice. uh, press people and who they write for and their Twitter accounts and some of that kind of
0: stuff. I think a, a deeper resource on that vein is Muckrack. So it, you mm-hmm. can pay, I think it's like yep. 30 bucks a month or something like that. And it's basically access to every reporter in the entire world for every publication, even local publications, Um, and their exact contact information. So uh, if you're looking for contact information for reporters, Muckrack's a good resource as well.
1: I'll tell you what, if somebody's listening right now and they've made it this far through this episode, just drop me an email. It's paul at bulubox, and uh, I got a nice list that I'll share with you of reporters. You guys are looking at me with eyebrows like awesome. <laughs> You you'll,
2: you guys you'll be, would be me, Yeah, you guys would be
1: shocked at when I'm like, Hey, we should do this thing. Like when we give away that poster, I had like one person contact yeah. me for it. So like I'm not expecting a flood of emails at all on this. So
0: We sat down with Davion Ross, pipeline entrepreneur from Kansas City and co-founder of Shot Tracker, the wearable sports tech company that automatically tracks basketball shot attempts, makes, and misses. Sure,
4: uh, Davion Ross, Shot Tracker Inc.,
3: so we always like to start these conversations a little bit about tell me, Tell me your first entrepreneurial story or
4: uh, history. Like, <laughs> what was your first business? Of, yeah, so, you know, I'm going to go way, way back. I'm going to go to, like, my very first. Um, I remember I was, like, about 12 or 13. And, um, you know, I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago. So uh, my mom used to come across to the U.S. all the time. So I remember saving up, you know, I think it was, like, probably about $1,000 Trinidad dollars. That way, that About that time, it was, like, five to one. So, you know, a couple hundred U.S. dollars. And, you know, I used to visit New York all the time. And, you know, those baseball hats were, like, very prominent. And everybody in Trinidad wanted them. But they were so expensive. So I told my mom, I was like, hey, I need you. And I taught her how to negotiate with the guy. I'm like, look, if we spend all this money on baseball hats, we should be able to get them cheap. So she gets them and she negotiates a pretty good deal. Kudos to my mom. And she comes back to Trinidad with all these hats. And there I am going to school every day with literally a bag. Of hats that I'm just selling to everybody, and um, so a really funny experience in entrepreneurship. I didn't know it was entrepreneurship at that point in time, um, but I was able to make you know like a thousand percent. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm not ever working for anybody, <laughs> and you know that's when I kind of realized that yeah, this entrepreneurship I didn't know it was entrepreneurship. You know, I was like just being a your own boss kind of thing is is the way to be. So how old were you? Yeah, it was probably about 12, 13, somewhere around that. So, yeah, it's yeah, cr- great experience, you know. <laughs>
3: so then what happened? How did, you, how did you move from there to where you are
4: today? Well, um, for me, you know, I when I was 15, going on 16, I had already graduated high school, and, you know, I got a full basketball scholarship to come to the U.S., and I was just fortunate that someone saw me as playing on a national team, and I never got to play a game, but I, I was practicing just because I left for school. And uh, just came to uh, came to college, came to the U.S., played basketball at Benedictine College, and uh, studied computer science and math. And uh, my next real interaction with you know um, entrepreneurship per se was my senior year. You know, me and another um, it was our senior project, and uh, we interviewed the school what they needed, and we came up with a project similar to you know Facebook which this was back in 99-2000 where, you know, you could update status and it was really targeted at your EDU only. So it gave the private schools the opportunity to stay in contact with their alumni and then also for alumni to interact with each other, which, you know, it's crazy to think what Facebook has become today. But, you know, that was my senior project and you know, when I got out of school, it was an opportunity to go play overseas, play pro because I had a great basketball career, led my team in scoring and stuff. And um, you know, it was one of those things where I ended up getting a job in Kansas City and was trying to bring that company to fruition. Now, the one thing about my school that I didn't really learn there, I always learned about like the computer science, math, got my craft, but it wasn't a very entrepreneurial school. So I didn't learn about raising capital. So there we are, my, the other computer science majors working at Cerner, I'm working in engineering at Sprint, and I'll be at this house every night on the weekends trying to hack code to bring this product to market and do it without raising funding and you know it wasn't very prevalent at that time where unless you were like you know some large company that you could go raise money you know so um so that's kind of been my experience and um you know i've never it's just been an awesome journey do you think there's
3: any connection between athletes and entrepreneurship
4: oh i think there's a huge connection um and i think there's multiple angles to it right i think that there's some things in athletes that you go through, uh, being an athlete that you go through. One, the emotional roller coaster and being able to, like the perseverance, right? The, the getting knocked down and getting up and coming at you just harder than I did before, although you knocked me down. Um, there's a certain DNA in the athlete that I think is just, it's really synonymous with entrepreneurship. So um, the problem solving, that, uh, you know, hey, I got to find a way to get through these two guys or, you know, the, the practice, the hard work and the creativity. I just think that there's so many things that's synonymous between athletes and, uh, and entrepreneurs. So tell me, so then um, after you, you did your Facebook
3: kind of
4: idea, then what, yeah.
3: what's the next thing? Where's your next part of your journey?
4: Yeah, so, you know, I spent uh, spent several years at Sprint uh, becoming a tech lead there, and you know, I was very fortunate. I've been real blessed to have, like, just awesome mentors and people in my life, even being the kid from Trinidad and Kansas okay. City. And uh, my manager and director decided that they wanted to start their own company, and um, they quit Friday, called me Monday, we had lunch Wednesday, and, you know, it's funny because when I think back, that was a crazy thing for me to do because, like, I had Sprint paying for my green card, I was doing an H-1B, and I just picked up and left. <laughs> uh, that? was about 2003, you know, so I was just on the first, first set of my, my H-1B, you know, and I just picked up and left and went to this startup who may not have been around, and, I mean, you know how that stuff works. you if nobody's around to hire you, you're back. You're back in Trinidad. So when I think <laughs> back, I was like, "Dang, I was crazy. <laughs> what was I thinking, right?" Um, but I left and went to that startup company, and you know that's kind of what where. Why did you Just to because I wanted more. I wanted to make a difference. You know, that's the entrepreneur in me, right? So like when I got a um, college, I just invested in like real estate and that type of stuff, and I just wanted more. You know, I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to like. I felt like God had blessed me to come to this point and I shouldn't stop there just to do a job. I, should, you know, I wanted to create wealth. I wanted, I, I wanted to like create my own destiny. I wanted to control it. And that's kind of one of the reasons that I think I left. Um, and you know, so I went over to this startup and you know, I remember it was four of us in the beginning and next you know we grew up to you know, probably over 85 to 100 and sold the company in 2007 to a public company. And uh, that's when I made the decision that, you know, because I was an early employee, but I really didn't, you know, I didn't have any ownership. I just knew that they were paying me a lot of money as a 23-year-old. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm killing it right now. But I didn't, uh, it was called Divergence. It was a software consultancy. We focused on like call center technology, CRM. We, we ended up becoming a, a pretty huge professional services organization for a couple of firms out in Cupertino. And um, one of those firms ended up acquiring us, which was a public company. And um, so, you know, that was a great experience. I traveled the world. I mean, I worked on a project in Waterloo, Kitchener with with BlackBerry Research in Motion. I spent time in Germany with T-Mobile T-Online. Just literally being a tech gun, you know, leading up pretty significant, large-scale software implementations in the call center. And um, so, yeah, it was, again, another blessing, right? You get to, you know, you get to, like, see the world on somebody else's dime and (laughs) and have a lot of fun in the process. So, you know, that's kind of where it went.
3: When did you get into pipeline and, and tell me about that experience yes.
4: yeah so I got into pipeline it was just it was really timely you know I, I had trend, when that company sold in 2007 I started digital sports ventures and um, you know actually it was 2008 that I started digital sports ventures and I got into pipeline in 2009 and you know I have to say pipeline was just amazing for me for my growth and it was you know if you remember those were like some of the tough financial times so I mean, my company went through it. I mean, I hadn't got the paycheck in probably about 18 months, and, you know, we were making revenue, but it's like, you had to conserve, you had to, like, you couldn't scale, and there was just a lot of challenges, and, you know, the family and Pipeline and the friends that I built as part of, like, just that whole camaraderie, that brotherhood and sisterhood, um, you know, they really got me through that year. Of course, my immediate family helped with that, too, but, you know, they don't really understand when I say, man, I don't know how I'm making payroll on Friday. You know, and the other pipeline people are just a great support system for me. So and that's
3: how you met your new co-founder
4: for this next. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So Bruce Yanni, um, you know, he had uh, he was in the 2008 class. I was in the 2009. We really got to know each other at MIT when we went out there for module, and you know, just an awesome guy. You know, very intelligent, very smart, hardworking, and um, he did an awesome job building a company and exited and. You know, while he was actually shooting in the backyard with his son, he came up with the... He was like, man, it'd be great if we could track this. How do we do this, you know? And him and I got together and, you know, I said, give me a few days, let me go research it and when to research it, understand what the market looked like, checked out the market side, said, wow, nobody's doing this. And, you know, it really resonated with me because in college, I used to shoot like 500 to 1,000 jumpers a day. And um, so, you know, I knew like what it took to track your shots. And man, if I had a more efficient system, I'd be in the gym 30 minutes less, right? So that's kind of the whole you know, thought process. And um, yeah, it's been great. It's been a fun ride. Um, we, we couldn't be more different from each other, which, you know, I, I think, but I think we're, we're, we've learned how to complement that. Like there's things I look to him for, there's things he looks to me for, and it's been, it's been a good marriage. And we don't always agree, which I like, because you need somebody who's going to tell you how it is. And we have that relationship and that bond. So I think the biggest thing about um, entrepreneurship, what I look like, is not giving up right you know being able to go through the process of figuring out like yo this is a journey you know this is not going to be an overnight this is learning and changing and and I think athletes have to go through that process you know imagine sitting on the bench and waiting for your time to come you know so I think there's a huge correlation and you know I think the biggest thing is just that DNA to never give up and to just you know by by the hook or the crook you figure out how to make it happen and you know, I know that's something that I took from sports. And I was invited to speak to all the athletes um, for the senior, um, for the end of year ceremony at my college. And that's what I was telling them. I'm like, enjoy this journey. The things that you're learning now are so translatable into the workforce, into entrepreneurship and everything you do. And I wish somebody would have told me that. I probably would have jumped on the entrepreneurial bandwagon a little earlier. So,
3: You mentioned, obviously, a lot of mentors in that. So tell me a little bit about... Uh if, if I'm a new founder and I'm trying to find mentors, and I, how, how do I get connected to mentors and, and what's the value
4: of that? Yeah, so for me, you know, I try to be very hard on myself just like most athletes and understand what I'm not good at, right? And I try to surround myself with people who are not just going to feed me the yes stuff. And I think that's a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we we want validation and we just want to hear what we want to hear, right? So it's like you told me 10 things, but I only want to hear five, so I heard those five, right? <laughs> And I think that that's one of the first things that you have to do is to just level set with yourself and say, you know what, I don't know everything. And these are the things that I think that um, I, need to, I need to learn. And then what I try to do is I try to surround myself with those people who will hold me accountable, keep me honest, or provide me some level of leadership that I don't have, right? You know, it's the whole thing of surround yourself with smarter people. And um, I think it's really... The one thing I will say about Kansas and I think the entrepreneurial community is that we want to help each other. We want to see each other win. So, I mean, I think asking and showing up is half the battle. You know, if you're, if you're an entrepreneur, if you just ask, you know, they say, you know, ask for, ask for advice versus money. If you just ask people, people who have knowledge are willing to help you. And um, I think that's the biggest thing. You just got to ask. Show up. Uh, so what's next?
3: Yeah, what's the
4: next well, you time know. Journey? Yeah, you know. I mean, my, for me, you know, I'm really excited about Shot Tracker. I think that we uh, we're, we're really revolutionizing the game of basketball, and you know, we're getting the we're garnering interest from some really big companies and. You know, everybody looking at the outside, they think, oh, we just shot track shots, right? But they don't really see the, you know, for us, we're trying to play chess, not checkers. So, you know, that's just one piece on like a, a whole, you know, we're like, we're, we're already thinking five, six moves ahead, you know, and for us, we just need to keep executing. We just had a big signing in Clay Thompson, which, you know, when people, I mean, that's a big deal if anybody knows basketball, right? That, I mean, the dude's awesome. He's great. And. You know, we're seeing the, the implications of him being involved, positive implications. So, you know, we're just going to keep executing. You know, we've got to get some funding raised. And um, we're just trying to get to the market and really automate, you know, the, the, the statistics collection of data. I mean, we've got um, some really cool location technology, which we could track where you are on the court within 10 centimeters. So right now we're merging that. And, you know, it doesn't use Wi-Fi. It doesn't use BLE. None of those signal strength indicator type of stuff. It's straight math. And um, we're trying to commercialize that right now. And, you know, hopefully in the next 12 months, we're able to build our solution that's not only for individuals, but also for teams. And
3: then I guess last thing, if any final words of advice to entrepreneurs in the Midwest? for the wisdom. for folks trying to build outside the Valley.
4: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, look, hands down, we understand we're never going to be the Valley. Right? But there's a lot of advantages here, right? Whether it's like you don't have to compete with Facebook for engineers or whatever it is, right? So I think that, you know, I think that great companies can come out of the Midwest, you know? I think that there's some companies that, you know, if you're in the Valley, it'll help to accelerate some of those efforts. I mean, if you look at us, you know, we're a, a software hardware company in the Midwest who just signed a Golden State Warrior who lives in the Valley, you know? So we, we, we have to, we're doing something right. So if I have, like, just a few words of wisdom for people, I'm going to use a basketball analogy. Uh, I have met anybody who wanted to score and didn't shoot. <laughs> so at the end of the day, you cannot score if you don't shoot. You know, and basketball coaches will tell you this. If you don't take a shot, we're not winning. And I think that goes for entrepreneurship, that goes for life. You know, I see a lot of people who say, man, you know, I, I got all these ideas, but they never even try. You know, and it's, you know, it's kind of the analogy. You can't, if you don't shoot, you don't score. And um, so that'll be my words of wisdom. If you got an idea, go at it. Yeah, you may fail, but man, the learnings you're gonna get from that journey, it's it's just amazing. It's gonna make you better time and better the next time around. Well, that's it for
0: this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much to Davion Ross for taking time to catch up with us today. If you have a question for us this week, don't hesitate to reach out on Twitter at the IO Podcast. And if you haven't already subscribed on iTunes, go ahead and give that a shot. Also, you can follow the host of this show at Ardinger, at Paul Jarrett, and me, at Matt Boyd, on Twitter as well. Music for this podcast is brought to you by bensound.com. As always, and until next time, go build something big.